Blog Talk Radio. I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. The lawmakers, the politicians, the Colombian drug lords, all you who lobby against making drugs legal, just like you did with alcohol during the Prohibition. You're the one who's guilty. I mean, come on, let's kick the ballistics here. Ain't no Uzis made in Harlem. I mean, not one of us in here owns a poppy feet. This thing is bigger than Nino Brown. This is big business. This is the American way. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. Mind Expansion Engaged. I'm your host, D-Bert, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd. And guess what? It's, not, it's another edition of Afro Nerd Radio, the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd Radio, featuring the, the indefatigable Captain Kirk. We have a lot to get through, as always. Um, I wanna, wanted to be – well, we're always informational, so I don't want to say that we're not. But I do want to emphasize some achievements. Maybe you can cross this off as a type of blue area segment – uh, long-time listeners know that the Blue Area, big those who are Marvel Comics geeks, um, shout-out to Tanasi Coates. He falls under that umbrella. Um, those who know about Marvel know about blue, the Blue Area of the Moon, fictional Blue Area of the Moon, where you can breathe air on the moon, fictionally. So, on Afro Radio, we also breathe air on the moon, where we talk about our achievements, and not always about the dysfunctionalism. Although, we will get to that because that's ongoing. But so is the, so are the achievements, so are the things that we do right, as well as the things that we do wrong. Um, for S and Giggles, folks, call us if you like to chop it up, discuss, pontificate, wax, unpack, whatever euphemism you'd like to use. It's 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. 
a chief component of the Afro Nerd Radio machinery. It involves urban alternative culture, urban alternative music, black rock and roll, progressive hip hop. We try to give you what conventional radio is keeping from you. Obviously, they want they want to keep you ignorant. Didn't Nicki Minaj just get another gig? Shout out to ABC Family. The minstrels get work. The minstrels get work. The minstrels get work. There's always room at the post office. All right, anyway, enough of that. Let's go to this groove. This is a classic groove by Terrence Trent Darby, Supermodel Sandwich with Cheese. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
of that groove once again. That was Terrence Trent Darby, who I think goes by the name of Sinandra Bietra. He lives in, in Italy, so he kind of went somewhere else, but he still, he still does music. Anyway, Supermodel Sandwich with Cheese. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. You know who this guy is. <laughs> the captain, sorely needed. Captain, you needed in engineering. Let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. something to say, but I'll be terse in respect to this. Now, as the listener already knows, and maybe you don't, maybe you're listening for the first time, we've been compiling a list of blurred podcasts, blurred bloggers, that's essentially black nerds, and blurred websites. Now, we had a podcast summit in respect to this. It was groundbreaking. It was rather inspirational. Everyone felt charged up. But a lot of times we as black people, we go to meetings and we sit around and we talk and we get this Farrakhan S type of feeling that you used to get in the 80s when you listen to Farrakhan or something like that. But then, after you finished listening, there, was, there wasn't any action. So what I did, I made sure we set the bar low. All right? I said we needed 10 podcasts by a particular time. Easy. No daunting cast, daunting task. The reason why I did that was, if we're serious, we should at least be able to do that. If we could not do that, then we're just talking. All right? I like to get to root cause. And we were able to do that and then some. Now we have a growing list that is exceeding my expectations at the pace that we're moving with this list. And thanks to Black Ronin and other listeners who've been chiming in, been putting in their more than two cents, let's say their dollars worth of effort, we are growing this list, and we're going to be able to do some nice things via this list. And that's what it's about. It's about black people, you know, stop sitting around just talking, making excuses. You know, pull your resources together and do something for yourself. The list will allow us to be able to push black product real easy, all right? Books, shoes, clothes, you know, things that black people are funding, and then we'll be able to even go further with it down the line. So this is a good look at this given time, and I like what's happening, all right? Back over to you, back over to you Afro-Nerd. 
Yes, um, as always, uh, Captain, I think, I'm glad that you um, revisited that subject because that's a, another component to what we're trying to do. Uh, we've got to force change. You know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing for me to do, and I, I believe in really allowing the show to be cathartic for me. I can't speak for the captain, but I can speak for myself. But on a certain level, it's very cathartic for me to just kind of admit stuff and things that bother me. And I've said this before, so this is nothing new to our longtime listeners. But when I'm listening to what what stands in for urban radio, urban media in the present day, and the kind of shucking and jiving, the pablum that's coming out of it, it's disheartening. And and even if it's not straight pablum, it's just this this re, this regurgitation or this need to constantly belabor the obvious, constant talk of racism as the default answer to all of our ills. That's just getting lame. And to discuss racism, discuss these this phenomena, repeated phenomena, as if it's not racism. In other words, if something happens over and over again, well, you know, when the white folks do this, this kind of treatment, this is the kind of treatment that they get. But when black folks do this, they don't get that treatment. I mean, to repeat that kind of discourse over and over again as if you don't know what that is, to have this, this shock and awe of that, I'm beyond that. I think the captain, I can speak for the captain on this as well. I think we are both beyond that. I, I think some of our listeners understand what I'm getting from. I'm never going to discount racism. But A, it can't be the default answer for everything. B, you have to have some agency in spite of the, uh, in spite of the racism. And C, you still can do something. The, con- the constant talk of racism as if it's a surprise is causing a type of paralysis. And the, the repeated discourse on the obvious, which is what I'm hearing from urban media, if you even get that kind of media, either you get shucking and jiving or you get, guess what, knock, knock, who's there, racism. That's the level of that you receive in urban media. And the minstrel music. That's the, that, I don't think anyone could even dispute that. Let me repeat that. Either you get shucking and jiving, laughing. If we're led to believe that Black Lives Matter and that the cop, that, that the uh, police nationally, that they're the bogeymen, <laughs> if that's what we're led to believe, then we shouldn't be conducting ourselves like that. There should be no shucking and jiving at 8 o'clock in the morning, if that's the case, or from black-themed media, not necessarily black-owned media. So you're getting the shucking and jiving, or you're getting the 1960s power fist deal because racism is new every 15 minutes, or you get Nicki Minaj and Meek Mill, and Little Boosie, and Rihanna, and Beyonce, Beyonce, pardon me, and Jay-Z, and all these, and Drake, and all these minstrels on 
rotation, and no one seems to be about the protest music that's required for this this attack on black people that I'm being told is occurring. No one's conducting themselves in a way that would imply that we are on assault, that we're, that, we're, that, that, that all hands are on deck. I don't see any of that. So anyway, um, on this show, we try to give you some information. We try to discuss the other aspects of black life, life of, for people of, of people of color. And not always everything has to be about, as again, race. Sometimes we just talk about facts. You know, just has no racial connotation attached to it. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, and again, uh, feel free to call in, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Just, just good news. Um, this might be late news, to be honest with you. I, I'm surprised we're, we're just kind of hearing about this now. And, you know, uh, again, it just might be the, the way things are set up for us. But anyway, um, I was I happened to peruse, which I often do. I, I peruse blurred, centered sites, and one site is the Atlanta Black Star, and they have a blurred, a blurred section of this this website, um, and they happen to highlight a young woman who recently received her doctorate in astrophysics a young woman of color, black woman. Now, there there are other black female astrophysicists, but in this case, she is the the first black female astrophysicist to obtain her doctorate from Yale University. So that is the distinction. And as much as I do have I do take issue with always getting into these first because I think it's becoming, it will become more problematic as time goes on. You know, we we highlighted, or it has been highlighted, uh, of actress, and she's a phenomenal actress. She's going to be Amanda Waller, forthcoming, keeping things blurry. She's going to be uh, portraying Amanda Waller, the fictional character, for the next year's Suicide Squad, courtesy of Warner Brothers. And she was the first black woman to win a Emmy in the, in the drama category as a lead. And it's just troubling that, you know, in 80 years of, these, of the Emmy's existence or something to that effect, um, I forgot the amount of time, I think it's, it's up there, decades, that this has happened, about first. And they go into 2030, 2035, and we're still talking about first. There's, that's that issue. So, but Ms. 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 Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Jedida Eisler. I have to, I have to, I have to give her a bow on that. I think it's a phenomenal achievement. And we had a brief Twitter exchange, so hopefully we'll, we'll actually get her on the show. She could be Afro Nerd Radio's resident, um, resident Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I, I don't know if they, I would assume the way that community is that she's probably had conversations with with um, Dr. Tyson. But I, I'd, I'd especially like to talk about talk with her, not just about her personal achievements, which are, are notable. We've got to get into that. But, heck, you know, it's, it's just in line 
with this recent confirmed news that all those Mars missions might actually to something. We're hearing that they have uh, scientists, NASA scientists have, have certainly confirmed. There's always been a hint of that, but they've given more concrete confirmation that they have found flowing water on Mars. Once you tackle that, then it's not too far to say that there, there might have been life on Mars, there might be a form of life on Mars, maybe even, as, even if it is bacterial in nature, or we can terraform, terraform that, that planet at some point and actually make it into some kind of second Earth. We could actually sustain human life on Mars. So there's a lot of implications. Matter of fact, they're talking about the potential. They're saying it, could, it, it would take several years for uh, humans to do the physical traveling from A to M, or to E to M in this case, Earth to Mars. Um, but it's, it, there's the potential that we could migrate there and that we could see it as a second planet, because we're, we're definitely ruining this, pla- this planet, so it might be nice to have uh, a true vacation spot in a completely different area. <laughs> so in the wake of this information, I'd like to speak to an actual astrophysic, astrophysicist physicist, pardon me, that, that can explain this, this stuff. So I'm a political scientist. <laughs> I'm, I'm not an astrophysicist. So um, I'd like to speak to a, a, a hard scientist to explain all this stuff. So I, I really would just commend her on her accomplishment, and we need more. And I, I like that it once again, you know, there's just this bias, biases on the part of blacks and whites, but I'm going to say, I don't know if it's equal, but there's, there's, um, there's a, frightened, a frightening thing. And I, I've, I've encountered this. I may have mentioned this on the show before, Captain, uh, with some of the women I've dated in the past or, or just even uh, women friends who may have uh, children or who are thinking of in the future having children and sending them to schools. And when you mention the prospect of or even mention why not, why not consider a HBCU, Shout out to Black Ronin, shout out to Bison. When you mention the HBCU, they get squeamish about it. They they you know, which is a problem. This is a, this is coming from the Afro Nerd radio show, from the Afro Nerd, where my blackness has been questioned. Or at least let's put it this way, my type of blackness doesn't necessarily mesh well with other mainstream philosophies. I'm not the right kind of black person, allegedly. Although I'm the person advocating for black scholarship and going to black colleges, black universities, historically black schools. Anyway, um, I've had these conversations and they come back with these weird answers about they're not really sure about that, they're uncomfortable about it, when many, even to this day, many of the most successful black folk 
have attended these HBCUs. And this goes to Dr. Jadida Eisler, her achievements notwithstanding. I'm finding out that uh, she has a Norfolk State, Norfolk State University connection, which is not that far from uh, my alma mater of Hampton. Um, she also attended Fisk, and there was a diversity program between Fisk and Yale, and that's how there, there was that connection for her to attain her doctorate uh, through Yale, through Yale's program, this diversity astrophysics science STEM program. Uh, so, again, we have someone who went through an HBCU program, still ended up at Yale, and now is making the rounds as an esteemed astrophysicist. So this idea that you can't go to a black you can't go to a black school and, and, and you, you can't be whatever you want to be is patently false. That's one of the things. That's probably one of my pet peeves with President Obama. Although he has he has um, delivered commencement addresses at black schools, and he has somewhat of a proponent of, of HBCUs, there does appear to be an H, uh, a Ivy League bias with her with his administration with his close associates. Um, but folks going to the black Harvards the black Ivy League, the black Ivies. And and that's what we what we would refer to Hamptons and at the Hamptons and Howards and Morehouses. Those are the black Ivies. We're not we're not promoting this. Not nearly enough as as uh, we need to be. So again, kudos to Dr. Eisler. Um I'm I'm highly intrigued about this water being found on Mars and the implications of it. I'm going to read this quickly, and then we're going to move along. This is from um, the New York Times uh, yesterday, actually. And it says, Mars shows signs of having flowing water, possible uh, niches for life, NASA says. Uh, niches for life, pardon me. Scientists have, for the first time, confirmed liquid water flowing on the surface of present-day Mars, a finding that will add to speculation that life, if it ever arose there, could persist now. This is tremendously exciting. James L. Green, the director of NASA's Planetary Science Division, said during a news conference on Monday, we haven't been able to answer the question, does life exist beyond Earth? But following the water is a critical element of that. We now have, I think, great opportunities in the right locations on Mars. Thoroughly investigate that. Now, you know, something else, I mean, again, we are talking about, the, you know, the show is called Afternoon Radio, and we talk about blurredism. Uh, even beyond the whole blurred thing, I noticed in one of the local newspapers that this bit of this bit of groundbreaking news again. I remember seeing this, I believe, on I think it was on it was Sunday or Monday that it, I think Sunday they were talking about this. But either way, when it was actually announced, when I saw this in our local newspapers, it was in on page like twenty, Captain. I mean, this this is groundbreaking. Information, a groundbreaking disclosure by NASA, and it ends up like on page twenty or thirty, and in a in like a small blurb about it, and then and, and, and then people, and again, we're just talking about, we're not talking about just you know race. It's nothing to do with race. This is talking about this, this the anti-intellectualism that's present, that is embedded in our culture. 
that something like this is just kind of, you know, just kind of a, a footnote. It's, it's, it's a little thing. You know, but, and when you see what is on front page, it's, it's nonsense. I, I think it was, I can't remember what it was, Captain, but it really was, it really was stupid as a front page story. As I said, I can't allow this on my show. I can't allow this. Okay, wait a minute. I see someone here. Okay. Uh, Ed Pass. There is no such thing as a black ivy. Either you are an ivy or you are not. Sir, I'm not even going to get – I don't want – listen. Colloquially, those black institutions were called black ivies because at one time, many, many decades ago, you might have had an ancillary student of color attending these schools, but they could never teach at black Ivy League schools, I'm sorry, at Ivy League schools. Many of these Ivy League graduates were able to teach at black schools. But we are entitled to use the term black Ivy. You can, you can Google black Ivy. There's such a thing as black Ivy. We can, we can do that. Colloquially, we can use the term black Ivy. Hell, we can say Stanford is of Ivy League caliber. But we know about the eight schools on the northeastern part of the United States as Ivy League. But we can speak colloquially. And someone says, this person says, that's not the case today. The best blacks go to the more selective schools. Um, sir, the, Captain, I, I don't want to, because I, I, I feel myself just getting into this, this kind of uh, recidivist kind of t- thinking. What, what are your thoughts about You know what I mean by this. I just explained about a woman who obtained her doctorate, yes, from Yale, but her 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 uh, initial education was through the black college system. I think we need to start. I think we need to schools, just as those of Jewish descent big up yeshivas. Why not black schools? And what determines what is selective at this point? I'm talking about the end results. I'm very proud to have attended at HBCU, but this whole thing of you know, well, you know, the best blacks and all that kind of thing. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think that's up for debate at this point now. We, we've seen a history of black folks who have, t- who have attended HBCUs, and they've become phenomenally successful. I think those individuals are entitled to their opinion at the end of the day. It's obvious that there's a lot of successful people that attended black schools. There's, there's nothing more to really say. <laughs> Give it away. That's it. The proof is in the pudding, you know. Proof, yeah, because you know, because yeah, the proof the proof is in the pudding, and I guess I I get a, a tick about the HBCU program because other ethnicities are allowed to attend their schools and big up them and and promote them. And if we think that uh, at all times that the white man's water is colder, and this is no slight against white people, um, we fail. We fail. So uh, I'm going to promote the HBCU program. And, heck, I wrote scholastics, scholastics in general. I, don't, I have no qualms with someone going to a, a Morehouse and then going to Columbia or Yale. But people, uh, folks have to attend these schools. We did this with, with um, black baseball teams. You know, we saw that with, 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 the, with that um, – Enterprise, that historically black enterprise, 
all those phenomenal baseball baseball players. Um, and we, you know, once we got into the major leagues, the mainstream major leagues, then that financial bedrock disappeared. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Cap, any thoughts on Jedida Eisler, her accomplishment, accomplishments, or even uh, hopefully when we get her on here so she can go in-depth about this finding with water on uh, on Mars? Well, tremendous accomplishment on her part, and that's what we need to highlight, and that's what we've been doing. That's definitely a blue area situation, and kudos to her and anyone else that follows behind her. So that's a tremendous effort, and I like that overall. Definitely overall like that. But, you see, you got to be careful with NASA a lot of times because you had scientists and also some backyard scientists in the 70s and 80s that were saying, uh, Mars, there's, there's water on there, and they got laughed out of the scientific community. Well, definitely, if you're a backyard scientist, you're nothing anyway. But NASA is a real funny institution, and they're full of feces to say the best to say the least. They let out information here and there. But if you've been following NASA for a very, very long time, you will know they're full of it. They're totally full of it. And they just let out little things here and there. They test the temperature of the people and everything else. You know, that's what's going on with that. So you got to be careful. you got to be careful. Because there were scientists, 70s, 80s, talking, oh, there's water on there. There's definitely this. There's definitely that. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, shut up. There's nothing. It's this. Now, you know, they're talking about this now in 2015. So it's like whatever. I don't really listen to NASA. I'm more quick to listen to the backyard guy and then do my own investigation. NASA just comes along and confirms what people have been saying for 30, 40 years down the line. <laughs> it's just crazy. And not only that, they did it with other things, things on the moon and everything else, you know? It's just crazy I see some of these things I see with that. So it's interesting. It's interesting to say the least. Interesting. That's all. I go with you, Afrinerd. Yeah, you know, my whole thing, Cap, is that, you know, just in general, I think uh, as a culture we need to start taking more note of scientific achievements. Or you know, It just seems like we just don't seem to, you know, we, you, know we, you can't um, talk about the need for STEM you know, science and tech, science, technology, engineering, and math, and, and and get people involved, and how we're lagging behind. And then at the same time, we don't really encourage it. We don't promote it. It's not necessarily branded. Um, and then you wonder why, you know, as far as what's happening in the United States, why, you know, uh, the Netherlands are surpassing us in, in many things, and other areas of Europe, Japan, and so forth, China, you know, so, certain. Um, I mean, we're, we're just lagging behind. This whole thing of American exceptionalism, uh, there's no evidence of it. <laughs> you know, we have to start promoting some of this stuff uh, in order to see things come to fruition. And, uh, you know, maybe you might want to, I'm just saying for those who are journalists, you know, maybe you might want to lay off of, oh, I don't know, uh, Nicki Minaj's big buttocks on the front page uh, and maybe – you know, maybe something else. Anyway, um, Cap, let's go to a groove. We have a, a still a lot more to get into. Um, actually, I want to talk about Dr. John McWhorter, who I've got to get back on the show. There's so many folks that, um, 
You know, there's a young lady that uh, is uh, also a, a Ph.D. who um, wrote a book on women in comics. And I think what she has to add is very interesting. And her publicist contacted me behind the scenes right before we went on air. So I've got to set up an appointment with her so we can get her on the show. So, I mean, it's just folks that just have a lot to, to add to the game. Um, so sometimes you, you, you fall through the cracks with some stuff. But McHorter, uh, who writes for the Daily Beast and is a professor at Columbia, uh, formerly of the Manhattan Institute, he wrote this piece about Black Lives Matter and how he perceives them to be channeling the civil rights movement and that in doing so, it's making it kind of living in the past. He was also on Don Lemon's program on CNN last night, so I'm going to play a clip from that as well. So I, I just want to mix that up a little bit, unpack what he has to say, and then we'll also move along. But um, I think it's time to kind of scrutinize BLM. <laughs> Not that we haven't been doing that, but I, I like to hear from somebody else instead of just us all the time. It's it, it, as if what we're saying doesn't make any sense, but uh, I think what McHorter has to add to the game I find that pretty interesting. All right, anyway, going to a groove, give you the best of urban alternative, black rock, psychedelic soul. Um, let's go to let's go to let's go to Lib to Lib Quali. And I think this is also is Farrell Munch? To Lib Quali definitely. Dream, dream. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Pull myself together. Put on a new face Climb down off the hilltop, baby Oh, I get back in the race Cause I've got dreams Yeah, dreams To remember Yeah, yeah, I've got dreams Oh, dreams To remember Yo, my destiny rules everything around me Dream, get the money, dollar, dollar bill, y'all Everybody put their palms in the clouds Get your hands in the sky, it's not a problem to feel, y'all Even if I broke as fuck I will lend you my last so you can holler at me still PMC in the place to put on the MIC Still spitting that real, y'all you know the limericks are limitless, not limited in sentiment, but increments of infinite potential in the scene. You can benefit from getting off of the internet for just a minute. It's a simple song you can sing or memorate. I, I meant mimic it. When it hits the spirit, it pulls the hard strings. Infamous and kindred, it's intrinsic when it's stealing us from the genesis. And we remember to dream, just dream. My determination runs every aspect mentally. I'm no dummy. Scholar got skill. Can't take what I visualize from it. You pull the wool over my eyes. I swallowed the red pill. Even if I broke fuck, I would lend you my last. You can holler at me still. Everybody put your balls in the cloud. Get them up in the sky. It's not a problem to feel. Welcome to the age of Aquarius and the stages of various schemes. Vicariously, I skate when I dream. Each scene should win an academy. 
put it up on the screen. My strategy, Pharaoh's the king of queen. The theme for teens to view it as the new theme music. Use it to shape their futures when they daydream to it. Never elusive, never claim stupid. Loose it, boost your recluses when you sing to it. And just dream. You know I'm downright excellent about my thrill get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. I got Dream. strung out on the music, so I'm sort of like a dealer to a junkie. Swallow that pill, y'all. Sometimes it rains in Southern Cali and Philadelphia ain't always sunny. Just keep it real, y'all. Tell him Kualee's in the place to be. Yeah, you better believe. You my daddy know the deal, y'all. Yeah. Five o'clock in the morning, just getting home from last night's performance. When I'm dead tired from touring, I hit the coffin. I'm like a vampire required to stay dormant. Out of the range of sunlight, where the doubt of remain. I used to smoke so much weed that it clouded my brain. I took a break, had a fire life, meaning to gift. Without the smoke in my lungs, I started dreaming again. I dreamed of candy-coated cars and panties that go with bras. Hurricanes named Sandy and Flip on the Noah's Ark. Police will bleed blue because they staying true to the uniform. And Dennis Rodman in North Korea looking for unicorns. The truth is. I'm one of the best And when you snooze That's when you meet the cousin of death So when I say I never visit the cousin I don't sleep I say awake to the ways of the world Cause shit is deep back dream 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 definitely to live quality um folks i'm sorry i was distracted there for a minute <laughs> feral march pardon me feral march and to live quality uh something just came through my uh my feed sorry about that folks uh, the call in number as always forevermore 646-915-9620 again 646-915-9620 before the break I was talking about Dr. John McWhorter, Columbia University's John McWhorter, Um, not a conservative, not conventionally so. I think he would describe himself as someone who is a moderate or even liberal with conservative leanings, Uh, or just maybe just an independent thinker. (laughs) I mean, I am a registered Republican. I used to be a Democrat. I was raised that way. But, you know, as you read a few books and have a few experiences and you start to question, you, you change your mind. You should be allowed to do that. But uh, I, I'm liberal in, in other, thing, other ways. I'm, I'm definitely a, a rhino <laughs> as a pejorative, Republican in name only, in the sense that I'm not a neoconservative. But I have uh, a, a quite a few conservative beliefs. Not everything. It's, it's calibrated. Um, not that dissimilar from Glenn Lowry, who was a conservative and now has moved a little bit more toward the center or towards the, towards the left, um, or McWhorter. Anyway, um, McWhorter wrote this piece for the Daily Beast, which is his haunting grounds, and he un- unpacks on the notion of the civil rights era being channeled by the Black Lives Matter folks, and and really tent. It's not he perceives it as not really being a a uh, accurate kind of thing. Um, he was on Don Lemon's show on CNN, so I'm going to play this clip. Let's unpack after we 
get into it, and, and also I'll also reference the the um, the article. But um, I just want someone else to say what I what I think, what we both think. So um, sometimes you're tired of hearing from me. <laughs> so this is from Dr. McWhorter. Hold on. Article in the Daily Beast. My next guest says Black Lives Matter is living in the past. Joining me now, John McWhorter, linguistics professor at Columbia University and the author of The Language Hoax. I always find your articles fascinating. I think you said they're living in 1965, and yeah. 2015 sort of activists are living in 1965. Why do you say that? Because there's this idea that the black community's biggest problem is the one white cop. And that's a real problem. But that the one white cop is a bigger problem than the fact that the black guy who was killed by the cop was in much, much more danger of being killed by another black guy from somewhere in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to focus on the white cop only out of a sense that our job is to fight racism, which it was mm -hmm. in 1965. Today, if we're talking about what ails the black community, racism is one thing. There is racism involved in what happens between black men and the cops. I've said that. I'm not against Black Lives Matter at all. But there's another huge problem, which is black people killing each other. But we've got this whole punditocracy that are teaching us that it's a bad thing to even talk about black-on-black -black crime. Yeah, you, here, I'm going to just read that. You said, uh, yes, black lives taken by cops matter, but so do black lives taken by other blacks. Black lives matter won't win over America until it acknowledges this. You say the group wants to talk about racism, but it's not interested in the truth, right? Is that, and the truth is, is that it's not the biggest problem facing black America, because here is the statistic. You said this year alone, Chicago almost 80% of the people killed have been black. In Baltimore, the figure is 216 black people versus 11 white. In Philadelphia, 200 black people versus 44 white, most by other black people. Do you think the organization is willfully ignoring this? I don't think they're willfully. Or is it just not their mission, maybe? That maybe that's just not their mission. No, it, it, it should be their mission. I mean, to have an organization in 2015 fighting only for the black lives that are taken by whites is arbitrary because we're trying to improve conditions in the black community. And when it comes to murder, okay, these people can't do everything. They can't change eating habits. They can't change all sorts of things. But if we're talking about murder, why would we only be focusing on the murder by the occasional white cop? It's because of the sense that racism is the main thing because we're stuck in the notion that to continue the struggle of 1965, we have to focus on what white people are doing wrong. But in this case, there's this beautiful argument that a lot of smart people make that it's the state murdering rather than citizens, and it's more important if the state does it. No, that's just throwing a political science term around. Imagine telling a woman in Philadelphia who's lost two boys to gang warfare, well, that's really sad, Mrs. Williams, but we're more interested in what the state did. That doesn't make sense. Okay, so then you said something here that I, I've, I've often thought that... Um, Sometimes by focusing so much on white people that it's almost in a, in a sort of that mm -hmm. because you, you're focused on what white people are doing to black people so much mm -hmm. that you become obsessed with it. You create a brand new reality yeah. where to be black in 2015 is still to be living with the white person's foot on your neck. And, you know, that's an interesting idea. It can sell a lot of books. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is it's different now. And that doesn't mean racism is gone, but it's different. So why does this thing persist that you, you talk about, the, the essence of your article? Don, I'm going to say it straight, and I'm going to hurt some feelings, but this is the truth. A great many white people really don't want to be racist, and they will 
allow what they say to depart from what they believe because they feel that the most important way that they can show that they're good people is to show that they're not racist. So there's that dissonance. Mm -hmm. And I think that for us, because of the history of black America, I think for a lot of us there's a temptation to think that the most interesting thing about being black, the most charismatic way of being an authentically black person is to portray yourself as a sufferer and to point to somebody who's been doing you wrong rather than being an individual or being black in all sorts of other ways. You have those two things combined mm -hmm. and you have a situation where a lot of us are teaching one another not to tell the truth and not to deal with modern reality. It's a shame because mm -hmm. you'd think we'd be getting past Somehow it was cut off, unfortunately. That was Dr. John McHorter, courtesy of Don Lemon at CNN, discussing his recent Daily Beast piece. I believe someone actually put it in the uh, chat room. Um, okay, uh, maybe you don't, I'll put it, in, put it in again just for um, edification, our, our listening audience again. Uh, here we go. There's a link from the Daily Beast article, um, which is the reason why Dr. McHorter was on the show to begin with. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the piece, and we're going to answer some phone, phone uh, calls, and we're going to just hash this out. Uh, again, Dr. McHorter's, McHorter's piece at the Daily Beast, Black Lives Matter is living in the past. Yes, black lives taken by cops matter, but so do black lives taken by other blacks. BLM won't win over America until it acknowledges this. It is considered the height of sophistication to declare that America doesn't want to talk about race. I say it's time to retire this phrase. Imagine being from a foreign country and hearing that phrase, watching a room full of earnest people nodding warmly after just the first eight months of, the, of this year. Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, Sam DeBose, Sandra Bland, the Justice Department's report on Ferguson, the Charleston shootings, Rachel Dolezal, Bill Cosby, Tanasi Coates' book, James Blake, and of course the Black Lives Matter movement. This is a country that doesn't talk about race. Let's face it, the assertion in itself is splendidly absurd. He may be on to something. <laughs> it only even begins to make sense if we recast it as America doesn't want to talk about racism. That America doesn't want to own up to the fact that racism still exists and plays a part in black people's life trajectories. So why not just say racism? No rational observer could deny that the national conversation about Gray, DuBose, Scott, Blake, Bland, Ferguson, Roof, Dolezal, Cosby, Coates, and Black Lives Matter has richly explored the topic of racism, too. Given that it is so painfully obvious that America is engaged in a fervent year-round discussion of both race and racism, there's only one possible conclusion as to what these people actually mean. When someone says America doesn't talk about race, they mean something much more specific, that America doesn't think racism determines black lives to such an extent that the nation needs a vast procedure. I'm going to leave it at that. Captain, before we get to the phones, what are your thoughts about what Dr. McHorter just said and even what I just read from this Daily, piece, Daily Beast piece? Pardon me. I think he made some very strong, poignant remarks. He's definitely on track in respect to Black Lives Matter. So I give him credit, give him a lot of credit in respect to that. But simultaneously, 
I had said before, I'm not really going to diss the movement because let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. When I speak to people who say, I wasn't there, but this is what they say, that were part of the civil rights movement. These are people that are 70 years and older. They say, yeah, we can talk about these things now because we see that it was very successful. So we could talk about strategy and how they was able to strategize and do everything really nice. That wasn't the case at the given time. There was a lot of turmoil inside some of these groups, and they went off and splintered and made other groups. And then the people who weren't involved in the civil rights at all, a lot of black people were dissing, saying that these people are crazy. White people are not going to do this, and white people are not going to do that. So there was a lot of turmoil going on. This is according to the people that I've spoken to who are 70 and older. They said there was a lot of turmoil going on, and things weren't as smooth as the historians like to make it. Most historians, not all. Some of them do talk about it. That's, you know, if we're going to be correct, succinct in respect to that. So now we have the after effect, and we're looking and saying, well, you know, you got to strategize, you got to this, you got to, yeah, of course, of course, definitely. We could say those people were definitely better strategists. But those people at the given time, going back in the 60s and everything, and even maybe a little bit before, they had their problems. They had their turmoil. They had their situations. A lot of people thought it wasn't going to work. It was a waste of time. These people are stupid. Oh, he's an educated fool. All that was happening, according to the people that I have spoken to. So me knowing that, I look at Black Lives Matter, and I say to myself, okay, you guys do your thing. And who knows what's going to come out of it? It might fold. It might, they might do wonderful things. Who knows? But channeling bison for life, this is something I said, now at ad nauseum, you need to have the Malcolm X and the Martin Luther in that group, one who talks about it and one who handles the business on the ground in respect to Black Lives Matter. Then there needs to be other groups. We spend a trillion dollars outside of the black community, right? So here we go, infrastructure matters. Then we put in the Martin Luther and the Malcolm X individual within that, someone who's going to talk about it and someone who's going to get busy on the ground. Then another group. Now it's three groups now. If this was a cultist situation, you're formulating a triangle of art. But anyway, another group that deals with the black-on-black malfeasions. Now, you have three different groups at times, not all the time, but at times working at one. You know, you may have different goals, but at times we can get on the same page. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter obviously is not that group, so we need different groups. Black Lives Matter seems like they want to only deal with the white-on-black situation. So to all the people that's chucking and dumping on Black Lives Matter, based on our past history, according to the older people that have spoken to me, we have to see what this can develop into. It might just develop into that's just what they deal with. And then out of that, we get these other groups, or maybe that's something someone listening or ourselves, we, get, we begin to develop. You know, So going 360 degrees now, to round up what I'm saying, I think... The professor, 
made some very poignant, strong remarks that everyone needs to hear. Back over to you, Afro-Nerd. All right, let's get to the phone, phones and see what's up. I think we know who this gentleman is. Sergio, is that you? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Welcome, sir, um, as always. I, I just want to address something that Captain, uh, Captain Kirk just said. Um, what he said wasn't bad, but there's just one major problem. Problem is that the Black Lives Matter has no structure. There is no head. There is no committee. It's just individual people who are doing things. So when it's when it's unstructured like that, you have people who are maybe very committed, and you have people who are not serious at all. I think about the situation that happened a few weeks ago in Washington D.C. Uh, Washington D.C., like a lot of cities, is having an uptick. Has had an uptick in violent crimes, and the mayor of the town, who is a woman, I believe her name is Bauer. She gave a press conference in which she was interrupted by representatives of the Washington, D.C. Black Lives Matter movement. They, what they want is for all police to be removed from black neighborhoods, and then black neighborhoods will police themselves. And the second thing they want is an opening of holistic centers in black neighborhoods. This is their solution to end violent crime in Washington, D.C. They're not serious. You know, you have people like this who are representing an organization in one city and in other cities. It's not going to work. It, you know, you need a strategy. You need someone, a figure, someone at the head who says, okay, this is what they're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. But if you just let people run rampant and wild, you're not going to get any kind of really affected effective uh, change. Well, you know, Serge, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, as you were talking, I was thinking about how successful the Obama campaigns have been. Now, we could talk about Obama as a president, but, you know, uh, he was, there's always been this, this um, admiration or highlighting. I don't want to say, say admiration, but this highlighting of just how effective he is as a campaigner and how organized it was. Mm-hmm. And it's a political campaign, and the fact that it was a kind of a kind of structure and, and um, a, a droit bureaucracy to a presidential campaign. The way he ran it, and the way it was organized with 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 certain individuals in with varied tasks that they were responsible for. And you figure, well, why can't this be? I mean, it is a type of viral campaign. It's not. It's not. Um, a, a, a political campaign in that sense, even though one can say it's politicized. But you would think, look how masterful the Obama campaigns from 08 and 2012, how those were. Why can't we see that be, be replicated in, in the Black Lives Matter movement? It, it does seem to be just kind of willy-nilly in different regions and everyone kind of goes off on their own thing. You know, you have this guy. I can't. I never can remember his name. Delroy. Delroy. What's this guy? Okay, right. Um, You know, he's the de facto public face of it. I still believe, and I've said this before. I believe he's an FBI informant. He came out of nowhere. He travels around the country with no source of income. When he's been asked and interviewed about how do you make money. 
who supports you, he evades the question, he doesn't answer. Sounds like a new version of Contrell Pro to me that the FBI started against the, uh, the Black Panthers back in the 1970s. I don't know who this guy is. What is his background? He was one well, tweeting, tweeting things, you know. So if you have people like this who are representing a movement, I can't take it seriously. Now, going back to what, what um, the professor says, uh, I remember I sent you the articles. I, uh, I agree with him wholeheartedly. The, the, the thing about it is that um, in, in an odd way, um, when white people bring this up, of course they're shut down. What, what he just said, what McWhorter just said, they're shut down. But I noticed that there hasn't been that much complaints or attacks. Maybe I'm wrong because McWhorter says it. You know, um, because what he says, also in the article and also in the interview, is something I've said many times, which is that somehow a black person is more important when they kill by a white person. So, in effect, you're giving white people this status and this power that somehow make black people better, even if they kill them. That's, well, I, that's, I think there's a logic. There's a, a logic. It doesn't make logic to me. There's no logic behind. Well, I, I think a couple of things. And I'm going. To, I'm going to channel the capitalist. This is something that really I will admit I, I am somewhat obsessed with. With this, this cognitive dissonance with people. Just you know, they're, they're very angry if if you conflate the two. Somehow, you know, to, I'm looking at it as black people dying. Period. Right. Whatever reason it is, it's just. It's just black people dying. Let's just stop the dying. And for right. whatever reason, these folks, well, I shouldn't say for whatever reason. I know what the reason is. They're more um, passionate and more connected to the politics behind the death. I'm just concerned about the dying. I, want, I just want the dying to stop. I don't care if it's from the cops or if it's from uh, uh, your neighbor. I want it to stop. That's it. They don't look but, at I mean, that look, way. look at the situation. Look at the situation we had two or three days ago in Chicago, where a pregnant uh, woman they, was shot and killed in the drive-by. You know, and her mother was also shot and seriously wounded. Wow. Um, and then uh, just yesterday, yesterday, two 14-year-old boys were shot, not killed, but they were seriously wounded. Not that far from where I live. Not that far. And um, I, where was the Black Lives Movement then? I don't hear anything. Hello, you know, you know. And when whenever you bring that up, they always say, "Well, they, they always give the same answer. We address that issue. We're concerned about black and black violence. Well, you were concerned about it. How come I don't see any protests, any anger about this pregnant woman being shot and killed here in Chicago in the middle of the street? I didn't hear a damn thing." Serge, I, I got to make a disclosure, and I, I, I've been keeping it uh, under wraps for a while. And I, I hope that the oracle isn't going to be um, uh, angry with me. But I, I have to, I have to mention this because sometimes you have to personalize some of this stuff. And actually, it had to become more personal for me. Uh, you know, the oracle, the, as I always say, the tagline is uh, my father, and of course, the, the tangential producer of Afroner Radio. Um, he is a business owner in New York, longtime business owner, um, hairstylist uh, for, for many years, um, sending me to college and so forth, and, and being uh, the patriarch of the family. 
Um, he was has been fortunate enough to have a nice car, you know, a uh, late model Jaguar. And, um, you know, he he looked at this thing I'm going to talk about. This could be incidental for some people, but it, it bothered me. Uh, he, he He's a business owner in, in a, um, a lower economic community, black community, or minority community, blacks and browns. And uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I really wanted to go on air and disclose this when it happened because I was so infuriated by it. Um, his car was parked in the afternoon. And uh, it was uh, riddled with bullets. Riddled with bullets. Um, the car is, is, you know, it's functional. He was more. He was looking at it more of, of like, well, this is just a property damage claim. I said, wait a minute. Uh, p- police were involved. They investigated this thing, and it appeared to be uh, either gangs in the vicinity could be a potential situation, or it could have been young boys at horse playing. Either way, there was a bullet hole in the seat where you would sit in it, I mean, like in the center of the seat, and bullet holes in the glass. The car has since been repaired. But um, when the Oracle told me this, I kind of stood stood frozen. You know, it, all my beliefs and the talk and the anger became self-realized that my father... Uh, who means the world to me. Um, he, he could have easily been in that car. Easily, could have easily, just by chance, he wasn't in the car. Because, and this happened in the afternoon. This is, the real, this is real. So when people talk about, you know, this, this, you know, talk about this Black Lives Matter thing, it even rings more hollow for me because what would have, if, if, I could have been another statistic, my father, and who would have been, or it could have been myself or anyone close to me near that car at the time again. This was in the afternoon. So who would have, who would have consoled me or who would have, what would have, been, what would have been the response to, to that situation if it, if it had worked out differently? What, 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 who, there's no one for me to sue. You can't, you know, at least with, as heinous as what happened to Eric Garner and all these people and Walter Scott, they have an institution to sue. If if it's Jay Kwan or Umberto who did this, who do I go to? There, there's no the community doesn't give me any solace. Um, maybe your immediate family and friends, but there's no one. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have been mentioned. It, there wouldn't be a whole community, a community to rally behind my my situation if it had happened to me. And it could have gone somewhere completely left. That's when it came. To, that's when it actually became more real for me personally. That my father, who's very well respected in this community, very beloved, all that. But at the end of the day, the dysfunctionalism could have made. Could have been and it could have been a collateral damage situation for the oracle, for my father. For somebody else's parent, or for those folks you mentioned, Sergio, that are um, uh, Chicagoans, no one is responding to this. It's not real to people. And what McWhorter said was, and I want somebody to deconstruct, de- de- deconstruct this, as heinous as what happened to Walter Scott and Freddie Gray and all the other stuff, 
We react to it. No one's reacting well, to see, this, other, this other stuff. You, you know, but you it's see, but there's another thing it's, here. It's patently another day. You see, but the, the thing, the thing here is that whether black people consciously or unconsciously know this, the reason is what well, I believe, and people can disagree with me. The reason for, say, black on black crime or violence is self hatred. Chancellor Williams said that in his great book, Destruction of Black Civilization. It is self-hatred. He said it back in 1975, 40 years ago. It was true then. It is true today. But to see, the thing about it is that black people don't have an answer for that. How do you solve that? It's much, much easier to blame racism. Well, okay, the reason why this is, the reason why black people being killed is because these Racist white people are killing us. The state is sanctioned to kill us. Okay, suppose you have, suppose it happens overnight. Black no cops, white cops don't kill another black person ever again. Guess what? You're still going to have that pregnant woman who was shot and killed in Chicago two days ago, and your father's car is still going to be shot up. And, and, and again, I, we have another call. I want to keep you on hold. I want to keep you on the line as well, Serge. Um, you know, I have to make note of the the uh, the counselor, the barrister uh, from the Cuomo administration in New York, Harvard trained black man, uh, 43 young man, on the move onward and upward, shot in the head during a pre Caribbean Day parade, uh, Caribbean Day uh, segment of the parade. Uh, there, legally, no shenanigans. He was just there because of a cultural thing. And he shot in the head, and, you know, he survived for a few days, but then he expired at some point, I think last week or a week and a half ago. And we're already, we're already moved beyond it. And, and to me, uh, this is like in, I mean, of course, what happens to the car is just, it's just property damage. But it could, have, it could have gone left, just, it, it could have gone left, and I would have been in the same position as the family and friends of this, this gentleman who, who was killed by these gangbangers. And, and, the folk and 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 you know the response of well white people do this too. I mean you know black people actually believe or a segment of black a segment of the black population many believe that the counter argument of well white people do this with the same veracity as black people that's just not uh, yeah, that's right. not correct. Okay, no, the no, likelihood. No. Let me finish. The likelihood of your neighbor looking like you that is true. That's in the same percentage range. But as far as the amount in respect to your demographic, that is not the case. We are number one as far as the amount of death by your neighbor for 13% of the population, we win that, that heinous prize. And for some reason, the math, those folks don't want to hear the math. The math is atrocious. If the math, listen, the Asian community, they get at each other too. We know about the triads and all that stuff. We know that they, every, every community has their ish. The problem is, is that percentage-wise, it's commensurate with their, with their demographic. For people who are only 13%, we should not be at this demographic. We've got to cut this down by half, at least, even by a third. We could, we could cause less issues with police having to be there. But we can't have the conversation. Hold on one second, sir. We've got another call. Uh, you can still chime in, but let's go to another call. 70- right. 703, 
Welcome to the midweek. Tell us what's up. Hey, what up, guys? It's me, Black Ronin. What's up, Black? Um, I'm sorry to hear what happened to your dad. Um, with the situation with the car and everything, I, I, that's mm-hmm. messed up. Um, that's bad. Um, I'm gonna be quick. I'm in the middle of cooking as well, so I'm gonna be quite quite quick. Um, everything that the captain and Sergio said is pretty pretty accurate. I agree. Um, the underlying issue is self hatred. Um, and that's that's pretty much the cause of why those percentages are as high as as, as you're as you're talking about. I mean, it really is the down the, the, the under undercurrent. And the problem is is that people don't know how to fight the self hatred. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, just like you were talking about, like we always talk about, you know, the you know Thug Incorporated, so on and so forth. You know, that all feeds a lot into the self hatred. Um, and and people have a hard time fighting it. Um, I will say that there, there are people out there. You know, battling you know different types of rights of passage groups and inner city groups or whatever it is working to try to reduce the, the the violence that is happening in a lot of communities, but you'll never hear about it from national media. I mean that's just the reality of it. I mean you hear about it on a local level, you hear about people doing stuff here, maybe DC areas, some other places locally, but you never hear it on a national scale. Um, I see a lot of positive stuff on. I get more positive news about black people on Facebook than I do from mainstream media. Um, they just won't. They just won't get the truth there. Um, uh, I, I I do agree definitely with what, what, what Dominic Porter was talking about. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate he's staying on Don Lemon's show, considering Don Lemon is a big Empire supporter, and that's what again feeds into the self hatred. You know, people buy into that that narrative, and you know they're willing to believe that, but they can't believe anything else. Um, well, so I mean, it, it, it's a painful cycle. Um, Uh, I'm not going to pin things incidentally with Don Lemon um, because, listen, he's become become persona non grata and likened to a black conservative because he agreed on a couple of points uh, from Bill O'Reilly. And and having having a kind of – hold on. And having a kind of um, uh, a measured view – Maybe admitting a couple of things here and there. Right, what do we always say? We say say it ad nauseum. A broken clock tells the correct time twice a day. And he conceded and to that. He conceded yeah. to, and it does. And he conceded to that with Bill O'Reilly, who I, I don't really agree with Bill, Bill O'Reilly wholeheartedly. But a couple of things you got, you have to concede. We don't concede to anything. You can't concede to some truth. A person could be an a hole, but if the a hole says two plus two is four, you say, oh, you know what? You're an a hole, but you're right about that. That's essentially what Don Lemon said, but you can't because everything is so politicized. Well, you can't agree with that team. We're talking about right, lives, exactly. and people that's, are that's getting part, into that's, that's the, the politics of it. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. No one. Yeah. The issue is on, on many issues, on many things, cross racially, cross racially. No one wants to capitulate. No one wants to concede to some stuff. We got to. We have to admit to some stuff. But as far as that. Not they're not being something that can be done. We don't have the will. I want to mention one quick thing, and I want to go to the chat room. So there's a, a person by the name of Troller Geist. Normally, I would say someone has trolling, and I would, but they actually seem to be okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I want to mention something. I want to mention something as an example, and I'm pretty sure the listeners uh, is uh, they're aware of this story. Uh, about a week ago, two weeks ago, The View, the talk show, The View, got into trouble by uh, saying some untoward things about 
nurses. Do you know about this, Black? Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Well, let me, let me expand on it for a moment. And it reminded me of what we, what we are not doing, uh, allegedly what we're not doing. Um, some of the girls, young, well, the young women, I don't want to call them girls, the young women on the show, had such, made some jokes about, I think it was the Miss America contest, one of the, one of the contestants had a, a, um, a nurse's uniform on, on because I think she's a, a nursing student or a graduating nursing, nursing student. Anyway, uh, they made some jokes about nursing or about her being a nurse. Once that happened, sponsors, not even the nursing community right away, sponsors who support nurses took away monies from that show within 24 hours. They said, okay, you know what? You're making fun of nursing. Nursing is too, is too a crucial and respectable of, a, of, a, uh, of an industry, of a vo- vocation. We're not going to allow that, so we're taking away the money. So you know what happened. Within a few shows later, they made this major mea culpa. All I can think of is, wow, why don't we see that kind of fervor from black folks who are disrespected? The black people and black culture, black men and women and children are respected repeatedly on a daily basis by folks that don't look like them and by folks that do look like them, and we never talk about taking the money away. Instant respect exactly. came with, exactly. with nurses. Okay? But, but we don't people, see that. We hold on one black. I gotta repeat I gotta I gotta finish this thought. Um we see radio stations that on on repeat their playlist, if you go down the, the lyric sheet of the top ten or fifteen songs across the nation, because this, this because we know that this is a, these shows there's a hot ninety seven in every every county. Yes, there the is. The playlist is the same. If you actually yeah. went down the list and actually started to look at what these artists are actually singing about, it, we're not doing that. The money should be taken away because the disrespect is very blatant and blunt. But we've normalized it to such a degree, no one's paying attention. The nurses paid attention. The nurses spot hell, the nurses' sponsors respected their clients. It wasn't even the nurses black, it was the sponsors. So I, no one respects black people, obviously. You, you, know, you know what it <laughs> Not is even also black is people. that I, I think also what it is, too, and, I, and you made a very excellent point there, is that the biggest problem with Black Lives Matter, yet part of it is the messaging, part of it is Pro. Um Sergio is right on. Some of, those, some of those people are plants, but they're not government plants. They're corporate plants. Uh, that guy, D-Ray, he's actually a, a Twitter activist. He's actually being paid by a lot of these social media companies to do a lot of the stuff he's doing. Uh, the Black Agenda Report aired him out, and like they, they had a segment on him, a report on their on their page and in one of their recordings, where they completely aired that guy out. But they completely exposed him for the corporate, you know, uh, henchman or whatever you want to call him that he is. So he's he's been aired out. Okay, Which, that's the thing about the internet today and research. People can find out stuff real quick about you, real quick. That's, that's, that's who's paying him. In social media, yeah, but you're exactly right. I, I, I like the big issue is that we have economic power. That's why you don't see this happening in the Asian community. You don't see this happening in the Asian community. There's also the Soros connection, allegedly. And and, and well, that, 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 that is not, not being true. Now is called, that might not be true. That, that that it's well, not Soros. I, it's really it's other it's other corporate interests like Twitter and some other social media groups 
backers out of out of the over there in California who are who are sponsoring a few of these, helping these people rise up as far as being noticed by uh, by the media. Well, and, uh, that's, that's why I said May. That's yeah. why I use the term May. Soros, Soros, Soros's yeah. name has come up. So um, I, I wouldn't doubt. It. Just, well, listen, just like you have. Well, just like you have the Koch, just like you have the Koch brothers. Let me put you. Let me pipe you down a little bit, Black. Just like you have the Koch, the Koch brothers, Koch brothers. Uh, you have the 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 liberal side of the, the Mr. Soros. So I'm not. No one's discounting the Koch brothers. I'm not discounting George Soros's involvement. He's there for a reason, uh, with a, from a different perspective. Um, I want to go to Troller Geist with his question in the chat room, and then we've got to go to a groove, and, and we'll come back to some folks, um, and we'll move along. Uh, Troller Guy says, do you, think it is in, do you think it is because of a higher percentage of poverty in black neighborhoods? I guess he's asking about um, some of the factors. Uh, poverty rates have gone down exponentially across the board. If you're led to, if we're, from what we're being told, Statistically, in general, there are, poverty is down exponentially from where we were many, many decades ago. And if you go back to 1970, the amount of people that are in prison, black folks, but I mean just prison in general, we had about a tenth of the amount of folks that are in prison now in 1970. So I think there's over 2 million people in prisons in the United States presently, maybe a bit more than that. And we had in the hundreds of hundreds of thousands in 1970. I think even up to 19, the mid-'80s, we had a couple of hundred thousand people in prison. Now we have millions in prison. And we had less people in prison and poverty. So what 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 is it? What is it making any sense? What's not making any also sense? Add, can I also add? Can I also add? Can I also add a few things? This is fact. Can I also add a few things? Because I saw sure, what Tola sure. guy said. Uh, number one is that right there is a huge increase in black uh, inmates, black prison inmates, mainly thanks to Bill Clinton. And his policies, you know, the same Bill Clinton who was the first black president, the one that all black people love, you know, who did had I, – I don't understand this love affair between the Clintons and black people. I don't get it. Okay, number two, when he talks about the high poverty rates, you're right. Compared to the 1930s, you know, <laughs> compared to – okay, let me go back. Compared to 19, compared to 30 years ago, 40 years ago, compared to the 1930s during the Great Depression, the poverty rate has really gone down. And during the Great Depression, the, in, the unemployment rate in this country was nearly 40%. And it was, if it was nearly 40% in the country, you can imagine what was, the, what was the unemployment rate in black communities during the Great Depression. Yet the amount of violence was nowhere near what we have today. Not even close, right? So um, don't have, you know, once again, this attitude like, well, it's because we got all these poor people. You look, just because you're poor doesn't mean you got to go get a gun and blow somebody away. 
Yeah, we we were poor. Hell, where, where you're where you're from now? You had Cabrini Breen projects. Well, so they yeah, they're all gone. Right, they're, they're all, all gone, gone now. I mean, but that that was and, that used to be uh, a blighted community, and where where it was uh, documentaries. I mean, that used to be the pinpoint where they would talk about black poor. They go to Cabrini Green. They mm-hmm. can't even do that anymore. They can't even do that anymore. No, it's all Yuppieville now. Uh, Ida B. Yes. Wells, which is here for me, that's all gone. That's all condos in Yuppieville now. Um, many, many of the many of the huge housing projects were torn down, and basically the tenants were spread out among this. Was spread out among the city. Some people say that's probably one of the reasons for crime, because before then um, it was concentrated in an area, but when you spread it out. The people who live there and the people who they know who live there, now you've seen crime in neighborhoods that before had very low crime rates, like Chatham, for example. The people who are listening to me know what, they know what Chatham is um, on the south side of Chicago. Um, the, 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 the levels of shooting and violence there have really increased when for many, many years it was a middle-class black haven. You know, if you, may, if you were a black person, you wanted to live in Chatham. Because all these beautiful homes and the beautiful little yards and the bungalows and the real nice place to live, you know, not so much anymore. Um, but no, the idea about poverty, you know, there's always been high rates of poverty in black neighborhoods. This is not a new thing. Yeah, well, we've been poorer and right. less violent. How does that happen? Exactly. We were poor, and and the racism was more severe. Also. Well, let's say before. And and I always tell people, I always tell people this, and they have to agree with me. Take a black person today and put them in in America 100 years ago. You would not survive 15 minutes. Take a, you, you think it's hard today? Try living in Georgia in 1915. You wouldn't survive. 20 minutes, you'll be dead. Try living in Mississippi in 1953. You wouldn't make it, you know. No, black no. people back then, Richard Pryor used to have a routine about how tough black people were back in the day. Black people were tough back in the day. Nowadays, <laughs> we just got soft. I mean, you know, a taxi cab doesn't pick you up. You have a nervous breakdown. How the hell are you going to survive then? How the hell could you survive in 1915 when, as soon as you step out your door, you could get lynched? Okay, we uh, we see um, a gentleman here, Ed Pass. Now, this, here we go. You, you should, you should, we're going to go to a groove, Sergio, but I want to still keep you on hold. Uh, you'll get a kick out of this. He says, also black youth. Well, first of all, he comes with these figures about African Americans have a poverty rate of 27%. And then he says in 1973, the poverty rate was 11%. Um, no, that's not true. Says, no. Oh, no. There was a lot of then he says, Go ahead. Also, it says also black youth involvement in the church. Well, this is a different person. Uh, also, black youth involvement in the church has declined. I know you don't want to hear this, deeper, but God matters. Um, Can I say something? Gonna, gonna, yeah, you, know yeah. what, you know what? Let me say something. Let me say something. I don't think that guy is wrong. I don't think that guy is wrong. I really don't. I don't think that guy is wrong. All right. Now, listen. I'm going to say this briefly, and we're going to bring Sergio back in, all right? We have to talk about the outer wedlock 
birth rate, all right? It's something we talk about on a regular basis. That's all I wanted to say. Back over to you, yeah, well, that's, Mr. Affleck. Well, that's a, fig, that's a figure that no one wants to talk about. Yeah. When we were poorer, see, there's, there's some things that we have the to The man was in about. the house when we were poorer. Well, well, listen. There you go. Listen, there's some, things, there's some things that, for whatever reason, we just want to ignore because it doesn't, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make for your argument. Um, in 1950, I believe we were in the 80 percentile range when it came down to black fathers in the house. Okay, uh, our, our numbers were commensurate with white families, and I, I even have seen um, data that said that we there were points where we actually actually surpassed white families with black patriarchs in the house. This was going on with the midnight runs by you know the the, the, the midnight runs, the, shut, the sundown laws, the pig laws, sharecropping, all that that was going down, lynching. Strange fruit playing in the background. All that stuff was going down, but yes, the sir. black man in the house was still there. Okay, that's that, what was, that, that, that that's a cheap component that no one wants to really uh, deal with when things when things were worse. Uh, the black dollar uh, circulated upwards maybe fifteen to twenty times. Now they, it stays in no less than one time. Doesn't really circulate. Goes out once. It stays in the black community less than an hour. You also have all this black leadership dating back post uh, Voters' Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, all that black leadership in these major cities, um, and you are in the state that you're in now. And, and again, 1970, you had about 200,000 folks in prison total. Now you have 2 million plus. So there's some things... We have to admit, and also when you factor in slavery, when we talk about post-traumatic, post-slave, post-traumatic slave syndrome, when we talk about that, well, why didn't we see the the these? Not that not that I'm discounting there being such a thing as post-slave traumatic syndrome, but why didn't we see the symptoms in, let's say, during Reconstruction or at the turn of the 20th century, when folks were, you know, when you had your your uh, George Washington Carvers coming into effect, your your, your uh, Booker T. Washingtons, your your W. E. B. Du Boises, your Harlem Renaissance, uh, your black boy, your black baseball teams being erected, um, you had a black car ownership. I mean, black car ownership, black car um, manufacturers, manufacturer coming out in the tail end of the 19th century, early 20th century, and so forth. All these black achievements were going on while they were stringing you up, black Wall Street and so forth. We understand that racism, we lost it because of these pockets of black wealth, but they did exist, and your father was there in 1896, 30 years post-slavery, but in 1996 or in 2006, or in 2016, in a few months, he's not there. Yep. You can't yeah, do this stuff like about, I mean, you, you know, talk about black leaders, here's the difference. Back in the 1920s, you had Marcus Garvey. Today, you got Al Sharpton. I mean, like, what the hell? Now, I used to, I, I, I've been the one here guys. Troller guys, I, I, I don't know if he's new to this show, but we talk about this stuff. When he talk. 
uh, okay, he's, he's uh, you know, his name throws me off. But he says uh, the family structure was a key component. Yeah, it, it, it existed, and he's mentioning the stuff that we mention all the time. He mentions Red Summer, Serge, which you're familiar Well, you know about Red Summer. Yeah, that's in your local Red Summer in 1919 uh, in Chicago, well, yeah. yeah. When... When when the white folks in 1919 were the were the were the equivalent of the Bloods and Crips. Matter of fact, they were worse. Yeah, they were worse. They would yeah, leave you had their the white Irish side of town. You, yeah, they would leave their right, white side had, of town and they go to and go to the black bottom and take out and take out black lives without fear. <laughs> they had right. No fear I mean, going I mean, into, the, the, into I mean, your house and, and snatching you up. Right. I mean, in the, the, the Red Summer of 1919, when three it started when three boys. Took a three young black kids took a swim in the lake, in a, in a white neighborhood, and that started a riot in which black people were savagely killed. If you read if you read the testimony as I have, you read books about what happened. I don't, I don't mean to just kill them. I mean it was savage. It was inhuman what they did. You know what white people did, right? And yet, and yet, you had black families, you had black fathers. You had, you know, a sense of community. You didn't have black people going nuts on drive-bys. I mean, you know, in the worst, and I'm talking about Chicago. This wasn't in the South. This was in Chicago. In the so-called, you know, the safe, you know, the safe North where black people came, you know, to get away from the oppression they were facing down South. And, and, and they Sergio, faced even Sergio, worse stuff and in Sergio, Chicago. And Sergio, we... We still managed to figure out how to uh, have multiple purposes for the peanut and create jazz. And your father was still there. <laughs> these Negroes, they're out of their damn minds. <laughs> Let's go to a group. So the Oracle they're Matters not be, in that they're, they're, not huh? be, they're, not being not, they're not being honest. They're not being the honest. Oracle Matters. You can figure out a hundred uses of the peanut and create jazz compositions. Okay. Shout out to Billy Strayhorn and... Uh, and Duke Ellington, you could do that, but now you scratch your heads and your butts, and you don't know what to do. These Negroes are silly. They're silly. <laughs> Sorry. Come on. Really, really. The white man, the white man would take your genitals and stuff it in your mouth and burn your ass alive, and you still manage to stay in the house and figure out how to how to uh, develop blood plasma. Come on, man. Do- shout out to Doctor Drew. We're not being real. We're not being you know, real. I have, you know, I have to tell people, you know, if you haven't seen Selma, you really should check out Selma, Ava DuVernay's film. Because for one shot, there is a shot when Martin Luther King and other men lead a protest march uh, through the streets of Selma. And the image you have are these strong black men in suits. And I mean, I'm talking about strong black assertive men. In suits, dignified, leading a protest march. At the same time, what they were strategizing, they were strategizing how to outmaneuver Lyndon Johnson and the government. This is brilliant, right? It wasn't just all protest. It was strategy. It was a chess game. If he do this, then we got to do that. If he moves this way, we'll move that way. I want to keep you on hold, sir. I want to go to another segment that's somewhat connected. But mind you, what you just what you described then, now we have uh, now we have weave wearers yelling at elderly Bernie Sanders types. I'm just saying. 
yeah, yeah. Those are those, one those of them. Are, those are the one of them who strong black men, black men. Yeah, one of them, them who a few years ago was a was a Sarah Palin supporter. So now she's in the Black Lives Movement. I can't take this seriously. No, you can't take it seriously. I can't. Uh, she's been sir, exposed. She was a Sarah Palin supporter, a Tea Partier. Now she's with the Black Lives Movement, interrupting Bernie Sanders. I can't take it seriously. I'm sorry. All right, hold on. We'll leave it at that. No, hold on, sir. We're going to bring you right back. Um, let's go to a quick groove when we get back. More discourse. Folks, feel free to buzz on in. The water is warm. It's getting a lot hotter now, obviously. It's 646-915-9620 again, 646-915-9620. This is St. Germain giving you the best of Urban Alternative Groove, Rose Rouge. We'll be right back. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. Put your hands together one time. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. I want you to get
St. Germain, Rose Rouge. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro-Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. We have a friend of the show, Sergio Mims, on hold as well from Chi-Town, from the wondrous website, one of my favorite sites, the Shadow and Act site, courtesy of IndieWire. Definitely check out. I mean, listen, I can't think of any other site that really gives a really great encapsulated uh, encapsulation of black film. And if you get about the minstrel sites, the gossip sites, and that kind of, this is not what this is about. Um, as far as giving you full information on what's happening nationally and internationally as far as people of color in film, um, all facets, what's happening on the Internet, what's happening, uh, small screen, silver screen, definitely check out Shadow and Act, and, and Sergio is a, is a chief component um, of that operation over there. Uh, I'm going to bring him back in, and we also have uh, another call. Uh, you know, before the break, we were talking about this notion of Black Lives Matter, and I got a little personal with, with the Oracle and, and uh, our family situation. And, and to be honest with you, uh, we did look at it somewhat like a property damage issue. But the reality is that it could have easily gone left if either myself or uh, my parents were in that vehicle. It could have been a hellish situation, and I don't know what I would have done. I just know that the community would not have supported me if if, if I were, you know, uh, Trayvon Martin or uh, Mike Brown. Well, well, we'll rally behind that, but we're patently not rally, we're patently not rallying around the internal stuff where the numbers are what the numbers are. We can talk about white versus white and black folks, the white back backyard versus the black backyard, but for some reason, black folks don't want to clean up, clean up their black that that backyard even though it might be actually dirtier in number. But I'm just saying. Um, 914, welcome to the midweek. Tell us who you are, what's up, where you're calling from. Yes, it's Earl. Earl calling Earl. from uh, Westchester. I figured as such. I recognize but, the, uh, well, let, so but, but let me uh, tell you, I, I was born in, in Chicago. Shout out to Serge. And I mm-hmm. was spent the first my first 42 years in Bed-Stuy. And I moved to Westchester because I got four, I'm married, four daughters, all from the same woman. And I can count three or four instances where all of my girls experienced gun violence. Okay, wow. so I was blessed that I was able to move into a nice area in Westchester. So don't diss me and say, oh, I figured it's such. Because um, first of all, I love all of you guys. I love all of you guys. And to be honest, I wish I could. Well, no, no. Let me, let me let me stop you. When I say figure stuff, I mean I just knew your locale. I'm not attaching it. I have friends in Westchester, and uh, trust me, I, I the suburbs are nice. Right, and there's <laughs> areas in Westchester that are hell. The, the areas in Westchester that are rough. You go to Mount Vernon. Well, you go to Park Yonkers. Yonkers. I know. I know the deal. Trust me, I know the deal. All right, so I, ne- I, ne- I never, I never discount or uh, poo-poo on success. We're supposed to do that. Uh, when, I, when I talked about the uh, Yale PhD in natural physics, we're supposed, to, we're su- actually supposed to be doing that, right, not Nicki right. Minaj and all that nonsense. Go ahead, Trey. I, Sorry I, I hear that. you. I hear you. And um, first of all, uh, Deberry, I thank God that your, your father's okay. And I use the word God. Thank you. And and, uh, and the reason I use the word God in more ways than one, because I, I put it in the blog, all these movements, you, you know, the, the the God element, the church element is missing, too, for a lot of these kids. I know, you know, you, you, sometimes I hear you equate the belief 
in, in God to the belief in comics or science fiction. But yes, uh, my God is Jor El, and he sent his son <laughs> Kal El to save me from my sins. Go ahead, sir. Continue. But but but, but uh, I'm going to you, church you next can't... week. By the way, I'm going to church you... next week. By the way, okay, <laughs> at Jacob Javits. And Jacob Javits. Oh, I hear you. Comic Con. <laughs> my my daughter is going. She's going to be. If you see a a little black girl dressed up as Wonder Woman, it's my daughter. Okay. All right. She's so a little I girl. Right? She's a little girl. Let me let me, let me, let me, let me speak. She's a, she's a toddler, right? No, no. She's thirteen. Oh, okay. She's still she's young. All right. She's good. She's good. Yeah. So no. So I I think Serge was about to 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 to. to I think Serge was about to 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 hamper on it. But you can't take that element out uh, uh, of, this, of, of the strength of our earlier movements. And, th- and then there's another thing, too. I mean, uh, Surge, Cap, Deeper, I, I take it all you guys in your 40s? Um, uh, I wish I was. Okay, well, okay, or even older. <laughs> old, okay. to be, old to be I, 40 genera- again. We're, we're Generation X, let's put it that way. Okay, yeah, I'm a Generation X, too. I'm 45. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, to be 45 again. Okay, <laughs> okay, Serge, I hear you. But the other thing is, any of you guys got kids? I don't, I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. Go ahead. <laughs> Cap, you got any kids? Not that I know of. All right. Well, you see, this is also the problem. The, those of us who should be having kids ain't having kids. I mean, it's the the fellow beasts, as, as, as Cap would say. Those are the ones that are having the kids. I mean, so part of the issue is, you know, we become. Listen, we're never going to have. If you if you go get a graduate degree, you're going to start life late. So you know, hey, one or two kids is probably the max any of us are going to have. I was I started early. I also married an immigrant from Africa. I think that had a lot to do with it. I got to start early, but mm-hmm. so that's why I got four. But part of the issue is a lot of a lot of us who should be having children. Ain't having children, so the ones that are left, the ones that are that are multiplying, are the, as as Catherine said. I love when you use the word feral beast. Too many of that. Those are the ones that are having the kids, and that's another big issue. You know, all no, of intellectual. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Those guys who are having all these kids, who are they having kids with? They're having kids with women who, let's face it, I have no interest in. They're not. That kind of woman, you know. I understand, but they're plenty of, they're listen, not, listen, we are all we all brothers, right? I'd rather be a right. black man any day than a black woman. We've got a much better selection as black men than the sisters do. Okay? So I mean so but my but my my issue but that's a big part of the problem. Like a lot of the guys I know that have done well a lot of them, they don't even have no kids. So, you know, thank God for the black immigrants, because they're the ones. I mean, I, I, D-Bird, if you go to Queens, I thank God for the Haitians and the West Indians, because uh, those are the ones, if you look at Cambria Heights, if you look at, you know, those are the, those are what's left, of what's left we have of solid middle-class black neighborhoods in New York City. That's about it, you know, Springfield, you know, certain pockets in Queens. And a lot of that stability is coming from immigrants who, who, you know, who believe two-parent households. They believe in family, you know. Well, let me, let me, By let the me way, stop can I tell minute. you something? Can, can I tell you a statistic I yes. just read recently? Guess this. Sure. What group 
has the highest percentage of college graduates in the United States. Africans, Nigerians, Nigerians, Nigerians. 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 Africans. I know. Africans. I married Africans. I know. Forty-nine percent. Forty-nine percent of African immigrants are college graduates. That's well, that's well, higher than well, Asians. Well, Sergio, Sergio, Sergio. No, it's higher. It's higher than Asians. It's twice the number of whites. And been, it's four Sergio, times we've been the number that, of African We've been touting that statistic for the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about this at nauseum. Cap, you can attest to that. Yeah. Now, Captain is a yeah. man of uh, is a Carib Indian, right? So, so, so what do those people have that we don't have? And I and, and, it, and I and I would say there are three things, okay. And one of them we got a problem. We'll never have the one that we have an issue with is they've got a home country, okay, that they can rely on for for, for income and money, okay. We don't yes. necessarily mm-hmm. have that, okay. That's but true. two things that they do have, they've got. Intact families, mm-hmm. and I know you don't want to hear it. Most of them have their faith. They are very fervent believers in whatever faith they have. Well, there's well, another well, factor let, too. Oh. There, there are other factors. Too. Yeah, there, there yeah, yeah, there's a filter. The other factor is the filter. I mean, because I've been to Africa, and there's a lot of shiftless Negroes in Africa, but the ones that make it here. A, a kind of the cream of the crop, so that they're, 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 that's a big factor, also. You know, well, let, that's, let a, me stop that's you, a very let me stop big factor. Let, let me stop you for a moment. We have to remember that this wasn't always the, the case with black folk, uh, black Americans. The black Americans were tracking initially the way that some of the African immigrants are tracking now. Something happened in the mid in the seventies. Well, let's say sixty-five going on forward. When you started getting into the Moynihan Report and, and you started seeing folks, there was, it was some trending post the Civil Rights era uh, that did not, didn't necessarily work in our favor. But if you go back, even some of the areas you talk about, when you talk about Queens specifically, let's think about uh, St. Saint, Saint Albans, uh, that was, that's the black middle class, yep. black American middle class. Um, there, there are, because uh, I collect old Ebony magazines dating back to the 50s that show that uh, St. Albans, many of these houses still exist. 1950 St. Albans, that was the uh, the equivalent of Black Hollywood. Yep, Louis the Armstrong had a place Hollywood. there. Yep, yep, yep. So, so something happened. We just talked about the black family was stable, and many of the benefits, the, the beneficiaries who are Afri- African and, and black, the, those beneficiaries of 2015 that they are uh, receiving what black Americans have have actually um, laid the groundwork for with them coming in as new immigrants. Somewhere down but, the line, you, black Americans lost their way. Well, yeah, you see, I think it's a generational thing. I believe that, you know, the generation, you said it started around the mid-'60s. I think people of that generation of the mid-60s to the 70s, people like me. I, I think that we were spoiled. I think we were spoiled, and in many ways we were pro- overprotected by our parents, you know, because they had gone through a lot, and they didn't want us. They didn't want the, their their children 
to like suffer or go through that. So maybe they were spoiled. They were pampered, and then they brought, and then that generation brought it to their children, who were even more spoiled. And then it just went on and on. Every generation got more spoiled, got more distant away from reality of being black well, in America. Listen, listen, I think my, that's my what father, happened. You know, I, mentioned, I mentioned the Oracle uh, as always on the show. And he could talk about and has to, told me a lot about the '60s and 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 the '50s and that kind of thing, and many of the things that we're seeing now was you, you couldn't imagine in 1965, 1960. Uh, there was a certain look to black people, uh, just culturally. That when you left the house, you were sharp. The idea yeah. of your your buttocks being exposed to the world would would be alien. When you saw the success of the civil rights movement, yay or nay, a lot of it had to do with the dignified look of black people. When you look at Harry and, and Sydney and just common, if you look at a, at a photograph of New York, Midtown, 1962, and you see, or even Harlem, and you see black people walking around, they did not look like the black people you see today. So that's because that's because going on, there's something patently going on culturally that we didn't see. 50, 60 years ago, and this whole femininity thing that's going on with, with the confusion of gender and all this whole thing being ushered in now. And this is not to, 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 to lambaste gay people. I'm just talking about something else. I'm talking about black masculinity as its own device. That was very paramount in 1960, 1950, not so much now. So well, you know, like I changed. said before, and, and I brought this before, many of the films that were made in the past, you cannot make today because you can't cast them. You can't do Slaughter today because there are no more Jim Browns. You can't do a Three the Hard Way because there's no more Jim Kellys or Fred Williamson's or Jim Brown. You know, and when you and one of the things about it is that older black that generation knew that for for and it was an unfair burden maybe, but they knew that whenever whatever they did, they had to represent the race. Okay, that's unfair. Exactly. White people didn't have exactly. to do it, but black people understood that. But it worked. When, so that's when you look. That's when you look at those old things. You look at Johnny Mathis. You look at Nat King Cole. You look at Leotine Price. You look at Marian Anderson. You look at all those people in the past, right? They knew that when they got up on that stage, when they appeared on TV, they weren't just a person performing. They knew that they were in fact representing the race. Well, you know, I gotta go somewhere else personally. Uh, just I should mention this. I've got to contact my my grand aunt. Um, she was in. Actually, my parents had mentioned um, my aunt, um, and I'm finding out that she was in Ebony Magazine talking about black folks on the move. And uh, she was a, a doctor of social sciences, having gone to Harvard and UCLA. And I'll, I'll tell. I'll give more information at, at another date. I've got to get her on the show. But she's she's an older woman, obviously now. But she was in Ebony magazine in the, I think 1963, and Ebony, which you're talking about, is real. They highlighted my aunt with her accomplishments, having having gotten this this um this position in a uh, hospital in in the West Coast. My my aunt, and, and since then, I'm looking at looking at her accomplishments. She's she's uh, in Africa opening up hospices and written books, and she's this grand dame and extremely well-educated. But in 1962, 63, she was in Ebony, and 
it wasn't uncommon to highlight the best of black people in 1960. I mean, really, it was a big to-do when somebody did. If you got a, a, a BA, MA, a doctorate, that was on the – we don't pay attention to this stuff. Now they call it respectability politics. Well, the other thing is we made different. progress. That's no longer a big to-do anymore, too. I mean, we should, we should also uh, thank – you know, be happy for the progress that we've made. The fact that someone getting a PhD and, and becoming a medical, you know, that that's no longer big to do because we've come so, you know, so many of us have succeeded. And, and, and there's so few firsts left for us because we've, you know, I think that that era of firsts, uh, is 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 is, is kind of coming to an end, and that's because of our success. And we well, I agree with you. I, I I agree with you. I think that um, I feel the grief. That's what we were talking about. This whole thing about uh, what's her name, the actress, Viola Davis, being the first black actress. I was like, okay, that's nice, but that doesn't matter anymore. Right. Is right. Too, is it really that important? To me, right. it's not that important anymore. You know. Um, there are the more important things in the world to deal with. Um, not just you're the first black. This, that those days are over. It then shows how good things have gotten because it's not so much a big deal anymore. Right. All right, gentlemen. Listen, we got less than two minutes remaining. Um, there's always Saturday's nerd-centered show. Sergio is always appreciate you coming through. Um, you know, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Reverend Wright. He has returned. To, uh, no. to to weigh in on calling President Obama African American. I, I don't know what that yeah, is. I don't, you know, I don't look, know what that is. I don't he's know what that pissed, is. That's he, your boy, isn't he? No, no. He's, <laughs> he's pissed off. He's pissed off because, you know, Obama had to basically distance himself from him back when he first ran. And he never As forgot he it. And and people and people <laughs> who know right, I, I know the church, he, 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 he everybody said he, he always always put his foot in his mouth. He always did that. He never knew how to control himself. He always he always was a wild card. So this is uh, this is for him. This is common for him to do things like this. Uh Deepa, can I say something real quick? Yes, if, quickly. If our black preachers, right, could learn and 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 model their their, their lives from the Pope. We would be so much better off. Here comes the Pope. He comes. He's in. A, he's got a Fiat. How many black <laughs> preachers would you see driving a a, a hoopty? <laughs> True. Hey, that Fiat was a nice car. Our preachers, our preachers are crust low dollar, and they want a sixty million dollar jet. So yeah, there you go. Which, which, you know, you, is gone. Right. You got to give on, him on money note, to, so you can buy a on jet. On that note, right. gentlemen, mm-hmm. we got to take leave. Uh, Saturday, six o'clock, we'll meet again. Uh, as always, appreciate your support. Continue supporting us. We're trying something different. We gotta, we gotta highlight the good, and we gotta highlight the dysfunctional. As always, this is Picket Fence by Lisa Stansfield. Where has she been? We'll do it again Saturday, 6 p.m. It's been real. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Now, why isn't the music going in, Cap? <laughs> okay, there we go. Saturday, 6 p.m., folks.
on the dotted line. 